0: Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Mark 13:1 through 8. The passage will be on the screen for you or if you like, please turn to Mark in your Bible. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs.
1: Thank you, Sam. That's the word of the Lord for us today. Um, bright and cheery, right? Bright and cheery, bright and cheery. Well, this is actually the the last time we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark for for a little bit. Um, actually, we're we're coming up on the end of the, the Christian calendar year, and next week will be Christ the Christ the King Sunday, and then we'll head right into Advent, uh, which is four weeks. Which get us ready for Christmas. It's hard to imagine that Christmas time is almost here. It blows my mind every year how fast, how fast it comes. Well, we've been following Mark and his disciples on, on a journey. And uh, we said that in Mark's gospel, the road is not just the physical road that Jesus and his disciples are taking to Jerusalem, but it's also kind of a metaphor for discipleship, for uh, learning what God's kingdom is, is about. And, uh, trying to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Uh, Jesus has been trying to prepare them not just to to follow him here and now in uh, in, in the moment that they are actually traveling towards Jerusalem, but he's preparing them for what will happen after uh, after the events that we know as Easter, right? So he's he's told them several times that he's going to uh, go to Jerusalem and he's going to suffer and die and raise from the dead. And that's kind of gotten the disciples all... Well, all confused about what's happening. And so uh, th- they've been a little bit tentative, but, um, but Jesus is trying his best to prepare them uh, for what will happen after he dies and raises again and eventually goes back up to be with God the Father in heaven. And so we read that story in, in Acts, that part of it anyway. Very beginning. Uh, and, and so, uh, the future for them is unclear. It's a little, it's a little murky. And and I guess if we're honest, for us too, we often think, uh, well, we often experience our future as being uh, a little bit murky. We we don't have ideas about what's exactly going to, to happen in the days and weeks ahead. Um, and sometimes that makes us maybe a little fearful. Uh, sometimes we we greet the uncertainty of the future. Um, maybe trying to uh, grasp for all the control that we can get so that, that we can maybe uh, mitigate or, or lessen the amount of harm that we might take uh, receive if the future is bad. Uh, or we just, we just might try to work really, really hard to control everything, uh, every little thing so that we might squeeze the very, the very best, I almost said goodest, the very goodest things out of, out of what the future might hold for us. And imagine, in a certain way, that this is where the disciples are. They are, they are heading towards Jerusalem, or they've been there actually, right? So, um, and Jesus has been talking to them and saying, "These are all things that are going to happen, and it's not going to be all great." And so they're they're filled with questioning, and doubt, maybe, and even speculation about what the future might hold. Jesus will have some words, though. I think, um, as we get to the end of this passage, uh, uh, that will help them, maybe be a little bit more contented as they look towards the future. I will have to say that these verses today are, um, are part of an entire chapter, uh, obviously so. But they're connected to everything that goes by, and, and the incident that happens that Sam just read for us today really kind of kicks off Jesus talking about a whole lot of things uh, that are kind of dark and foreboding, um, and, and we'll, we'll get to that in just a little bit. But we're only looking at half of it, and so we're not going to get a chance to go uh, full into everything that, that might be said in, these, uh, in this particular passage. Well, they've been in the temple for the last couple of passages that we've looked at, and they've had conversations. Some of those conversations have been bad. Uh, religious leaders in, in, uh, in Israel have been asking tr- questions to try to trip up Jesus because they don't like what he's doing. We did encounter one religious leader, though, who was asked a good question, and and Jesus was able to answer it uh, truly and correctly, and uh, that question was, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the religious leader confirms, like, yes, this is more important than all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices And so we kind of get this image that, that what Jesus is expressing about everything that God hopes for the world and God hopes for Israel and what they might do that it 's all distilled down into loving God and our neighbor uh, that all of the other little churchy things uh, they wouldn 't have said that Jesus wouldn 't have said that, but all of the other little churchy things maybe aren 't as necessarily as important as trying to do those two things well they're leaving uh, they 're leaving the temple area and they 're walking out and uh, as they come out of the, the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Now, um, most of Jesus' disciples are, they're hicks, maybe, I, I guess, I don't know. They're country folk, they're, they're, they're poor, simple, um, you know, some of them we know are, are fishermen and they are just kind of salt of the earth people uh, living in places that aren't big cities, uh, not that Cities were, were huge in, in the day. Uh, but it would have been a magnificent thing for them to come to Jerusalem, to the capital city, and to come to this structure that, that, that maybe they had been there before, a the good chance they had. But, but to see it in its grandness and its largeness, uh, in its beauty and in its majesty, compared to all of the things around it. In fact, the, the temple would have been most likely the largest building in the region, Certainly, it was the most well-adorned building in the region. Uh, thanks in part to, to King Herod, who uh, kind of uh, adds on to it. And thinks that'll get in trouble later on, but that's another part of the story. But it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been strange for a group of, of pilgrims, a bunch of disciples making their way in Jerusalem, to look at the temple and say, Oh, man, that is just, that is just so spectacular. One of the things I think we have to keep in mind is that the temple for Jerusalem was, well, it was the center of the universe. As far as they were concerned, that is where God's presence dwelt among creation. And so for for as long as Israel can can remember, the temple has been the central symbol of their nation, the central symbol of God's promise to them uh, to be a holy nation and a royal priesthood. The promise that God gave Abraham that, that his descendants might be a blessing to the entire world. It's the symbol of God's covenant, uh, in a large part of way, with Israel. And so, uh, Jesus' next words, I think, would have been a little bit shocking. But Jesus said, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will left be, be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. Uh, can you imagine, can you imagine if you're Jesus' disciples and, and you hear this and you're thinking, like, we've, we've heard Jesus say some pretty crazy things, like he's going to die and raise from the dead and all those kind of things. So we, and they've seen him do a lot of crazy things too, like uh, cast out demons and heal people and bring people back from the dead. And, and, and so you would think maybe that this statement wouldn't necessarily be as shocking to them as it, it could have been, but I can imagine I can imagine that that because of this building meant so much and occupied such a central place in Israel's thought uh, that it would have caused something in them to break just a little bit. Uh, Mark doesn't give us any uh, initial response. Uh, Perhaps they're too stunned to realize what it is that Jesus is saying or even to be able to think through the the implications of why, why would Jesus say that. Uh, One of the things you have to keep in mind too is that um, there was a time in Israel's history after a period of long unfaithfulness for Israel uh, that the temple does get destroyed. This isn't the original one. This is a reconstruction. uh, that during, during the exile, the, the Babylonians came and, and destroyed Israel and destroyed the temple and carried them all off. And this was itself a time of great upheaval and turmoil and doubting and wondering about what God's future was for them. So imagine adding to the importance of this building and, and the fact that it's so great and can't hardly imagine who would be able to do this that you've got in the back of the head, their heads their understanding of their own history as being well, this has happened before. Uh, maybe it will happen again. And I, and I bet they were wondering over and over again what, what exactly that meant. Uh, what does that mean for everything that Jesus had said about what the kingdom of God is and that he's bringing the kingdom of God and, and surely the kingdom of God can't come if the temple is not here. So they, uh, they go and um, they go for a little walk and they go up to the Mount of Olives and Mount of Olives isn't far away from from Jerusalem or where they were. And they go up and and it's said that from the top of the Mount of Olives that you can see a a pretty good view of Jerusalem, of of the city. And and so they go up there and um, I imagine uh, that they're all kind of looking out over everything that they've seen and maybe contemplating all of the experiences and the conversations that they've had to this point. Uh, And who is it? Peter and James and John and Andrew. They pull Jesus aside and they say, tell us when this will be and what will be the sign that these things are about to be accomplished. Uh, Two two things are happening. They want to know when and how they will know it's going to happen. Uh, Somehow they've they've gotten the idea that, that this is a possibility. This is going to happen. And I guess if Jesus says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Jesus doesn't, for his part, he doesn't give them a straight answer. He says instead, beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead you astray. Uh, Jesus is not warning them. And here's what I think the the point of this whole thing is, and we'll get there more fully by the end. Um, That Jesus isn't concerned about, necessarily with how and why the temple was going to be destroyed. Uh, he has other intentions. Uh, more important things than, than the temple. And so he says, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. Jesus is not concerned that a, that a foreign army is going to come in and destroy the place. Jesus is concerned that after he is gone, someone will come and say, I'm the guy. I'm, I'm the one, I am the only one that can fix all of our problems. Uh, the phrase, I am, he, uh, is a dead giveaway for, for well, well, for God. Because it's at the burning bush in, in the Exodus story where Moses asks God, he says, who shall I say is sending me to, to let the, the Israelites free? And God responds like, I am. That's literally what he says. And so that that phrase has been uh, shorthand for uh, talking about God and what God is doing in the world. And so Jesus is saying, when I am dead and gone, there are going to be those who come in my name. Not in like the power and authority of my name, like the disciples will go out into the world in in the name of Jesus Christ to do uh, his work. But in saying that, that I, am, I am, I am the one, I am the Messiah, uh, the one who might bring about salvation. And they might be led astray to think that, 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 that Jesus, as he has come, is not the one that may wander off from the path and uh, go down a road that Jesus has not intended them to go and that they would chase after a kingdom uh, that is not the kingdom of God. Uh, so he says that, uh, and then he goes on and says, when you he hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines, but this is the beginning of the birth pangs. That's some doom and gloom, right? Like that's, uh, that's not great news, but again, I think that Jesus isn't warning them, uh, isn't warning them necessarily about all of the bad things that might happen before the world is made right. Uh, he's warning them not to just follow after anybody who says they, they might have all of the answers. By the way, I think our politicians do this. Like, I'm the only one that can fix the problem. I think they all do it. Uh, so maybe Jesus is warning us about our politicians. I don't know. Uh, but but I, think, I think Christians get, get caught up sometimes in, in looking at all of the things that are happening in the world too. And, and we see death and destruction all over the place. And, and we might say, well, this is so bad. This can mean nothing other than the very end of things. And I think Jesus is warning us. Let's go back. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. I think Jesus is saying, hey, this is, this is part of the world, the brokenness of the world. Uh, that things, because we have chosen to follow our own path, because we have not sought after the kingdom of God, well, things break and people fight. And the world, at the very core of what it is, is, is broken and we have plagues and famines and pandemics and wars and all of those things. I I think Jesus is not only saying, don't get led astray by someone who's saying that they have the answers to the problems that are present today, that it's not Jesus, but he's also saying, look at the world and and don't get caught up in worrying about where, well, just all of the bad things that might happen. Uh, That's not to say that I don't want us to be concerned about all the bad things that are happening. But I think sometimes when we look out at the future and we see how bad it maybe might be getting or we, we tend to interpret that the world is going to come to an end, uh, that we lose sight of exactly what we're supposed to be doing. I, I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say this, but like there, there'll be a discussion about some world events and uh, someone will say, well, I believe this is the signs of the time, Right? that Jesus is gonna come back soon because of all of these things. Actually, uh, a lot of TV preachers make a big deal about that, and it almost never, like, Jesus hasn't come back yet, so. Um, I think, I think when we get caught up thinking about all of the bad that might happen, that it distracts us from following and staying closely to the path to which Jesus has called us. Uh, the path of the Kingdom of God of loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves now um, I think Jesus is concerned for his followers that they, that they not know that they not that they know the times of the signs of the end but that they constantly prepare to fully participate in god 's coming kingdom. He wants them not to be distracted by what might be but to be present in the moment here and now to participate with what God is doing right here and right now. When we focus on wars and rumors of wars, it will only serve uh, as a distraction and a temptation. Uh, Part of this that we have to see too, um, Mark, the, the people who are reading Mark's gospel are in the midst of persecution. Like the world is not good for them. Uh, and, and they would have been longing for Christ to come back and make all things new again, and, and so that's part of kind of how this is is, is being read in, in Mark's day. I think Jesus is warning us too that like things like persecutions aren't going to be that. That's not necessarily a telltale sign of the end, but that it is part of what well, it is part of being a different kind of people, living in a different kind of way, as a different kind of community. And Jesus calls us not to, uh, not to be worried about those. Persecutions and dis- disasters will serve as a distraction because we will spend more time thinking about how to avoid them than we will thinking about how to best love our neighbor in the midst of those disasters. Persecution and disasters will serve as a temptation uh, because we will be tempted to greet those dangers head on with our own authority and power instead of trusting that the God who created the universe is coming to set all things right. I think two temptations there, right? A temptation is to get distracted and not be the loving kind of people that God has called us to be here and now. Uh, the other temptation when we see all the bad stuff happening in the world is to try to clamor for power in the way the world understands it. To do our best to, to try to avoid, for our own sake, maybe the disasters that might happen or any persecution that might come because of a change in political power or whatever that case may be. Instead of resting in the fact that the God who has created the world, the God who has saved the world, is continuing to work for its salvation. And that what God has called us to in this time, here and now, is not to speculate about what will be about how the end of the world will be, but to live faithfully as people who love God with all that we are and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So that when bad things do happen, heaven forbid if there are persecutions or disasters in our own neighborhood as there are all over the world, that we may be motivated by our belief in the kingdom of God, that we might be motivated by the love which Christ has showed to us to go and be Christ's servants in the world. Let's pray. Lord, we, um, we find these kinds of passages weird uh, and maybe difficult to understand and maybe a little depressing it brings up a whole lot, uh, lots of questions. Uh, Lord, we confess, though, that we get a little caught up sometimes, maybe in those things, and that we might allow um, bleak pictures of the end to distract us from what we're to be doing here and now, or to tempt us to to, to chase after solutions to problems. Solutions which are not your solutions, but, but are ours. We confess to you that we, um, that we have not always been so focused on you and on the path you have set before us. We ask for your forgiveness and we ask for your strength to, as, we, as we are learning and growing in our faith in you. As we are growing as people and as a church that you might strengthen us to keep our focus uh, on you. Lord, we also confess that we like taking things into our own hands when things get bad instead of trusting that you are working for the good of all those who love you. We confess that the temptation to, uh, to power or to cozy up to people who are powerful who might make our lives a little bit more easy, um, that that temptation is great or we confess uh, that we do not rest and trust in you as we should. And so we ask for your forgiveness and we ask that you might give us the strength and the courage in the midst of all that happens uh, to have our trust remain completely in you. Lord, as we um, receive your supper here in just a moment, we ask that it would be for us more than just a reminder of your facing the world's worst. Um, That it would be a reminder of your focus on the road in the kingdom of God. That it would be a reminder of your um, commitment to trust that even in the worst of things that you are making all things new. May it remind us of those things, but may it also nourish us. May it do what all meals do and give us strength and energy to go and face whatever it is that the world will have for us. Lord, help us to keep our focus on you. Help us to not take things into our own hands. Help us to rest in your care and provision for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.